Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, I'm a programmer at TIFF now, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is Chris Locke, a veteran stand-up who you'll also recognize from literally dozens of movies and TV shows, including Filth City, Workin' Moms, Baroness Von Sketch Show, Children Ruin Everything, and the revived Kids in the Hall. He plays Sebastian, the weird neighbor, on CBC's Run the Burbs, which kicks off its third season tonight in Canada at 9.30pm on CBC, and he stars opposite Susan Kent in Who's Your Father, which premiered at the Atlantic International Film Festival last year and just arrived on digital and on demand. Directed by Jeremy Larder, a friend of the show, it's a genuinely sweet private eye comedy, and you should definitely check it out. So Chris was originally going to do Sword of Doom, but only because he thought we'd already covered the movie he really wanted to talk about, David Steinberg's The Wrong Guy. And we hadn't. It's the 1997 comedy where Dave Foley plays Nelson Hibbert, a very dim business person who goes on the run after his boss is murdered, convinced the police will finger him for the crime, when the truth is he's not wanted for anything since the real killer was caught on video. A deadpan spin on The Fugitive, it features Foley bumbling across America and eventually falling for a farmer's daughter played by Jennifer Tilly, and it's found a devoted cult following among professionally funny people over the last quarter century, despite being nearly impossible to find. I should also point out that we recorded this episode just before the new season of Fargo started airing, and obviously Dave Foley is awesome in that, and everybody's talking about him now. But, you know, we didn't know. Anyway, this is someone else's movie. The Wrong Guy is a very uh, big deal to me. Um, <clears throat> it was one of the greatest discoveries of my life in probably the year 2000, I'm trying to say. I, I, uh, I got well. I didn't get kicked out of university. I could have gone back on a uh, like um, what's it called academic probation, mm. and at Dalhousie University, that's where I went for one year and just partied my butt off. <laughs> and then I came home and I kind of got kicked out of my parents' house because I was being a bum, and I and I and I obviously had very bad grades. I only got my philosophy credit, which is why I'm such a genius at basic philosophy. Um, but so I'm living in the junction and this is early junction days. Do you see what I'm saying in Toronto? Sure. It's uh, it's just the cusp of, um, uh, gentrification and art galleries and couture, whatever now it is. Um, <clears throat> and they had this giant blockbuster. And so everything I could afford at that time was, it had to be dirt cheap, secondhand, whatever. Right. And in the bargain bin at Blockbuster was the wrong guy. And for some reason on DVD, obviously, we're talking DVDs here, kids. And for some reason in like the back of my mind, all of a sudden I get a flashback to remembering a little promo about it. I I, I might be wrong, but I swear I saw David Foley, uh, Dave Foley or someone on Letterman talking about it in like 96 or 97 when it came out. Uh, do you have it there? I forget, but he yeah, would have, oh, it was ninety-seven, and I'm sure he would have just because it yeah. was um, like he was on news radio at the time. It was a fairly yeah. big deal for him to have a starring role in a movie so soon after Brain Candy, and you know the post Kids in the it's Hall. Wave. Unbelievable, yeah, it's unbelievable. It doesn't have like a reputation like Ace Ventura or something, or you know an Adam Sandler movie. But anyways, so I picked it up. I was like, oh yeah. Let's let's watch this. I take it home back to my place. I had my my parents' old cottage TV that had the dial, you oh, know, yeah. like tut, 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 just to get to the next channel. 
And then I had an old DVD player attached to that with the old uh, wire connected to it with the uh, the pin in the center, the needle in the center, that you, <laughs> whatever that's called, right. the adapter. So I watched it on this crappy old TV and it blew me away. Um, every beat of it is so funny. I know the whole movie off by heart. Um, and then I, every friend I had had to come over and watch it. And so, yeah, I just like love I think every single beat of that movie is classic, good, slapstick, silly comedy that harkens back to the good old days of like the Marx Brothers or, or you know, W.C. Fields times 100, where it's just every point uh, of dialogue or movement is oh, like do like in service of a gag, everything. It's not even serious at all in one. And that's the way I, that's the world I live in. So it was like I was watching the, the way I want the world to be like on a DVD all of a sudden. Just funny, silly, nonsense, nonstop. And it's got a plethora of, of incredible Canadian comedic actors um, spread all throughout the cast um, who I've I've come in contact with pretty much everyone in that movie and i've told them i'm a fan of the movie at some point in my own personal comedy career the only one that i still have yet to actually like greet and tell them is comb fior and i was on set with comb fior but he was he seemed like an incredibly pleasant charming man and super professional but we weren't situated sure enough for it would be bad if i went over to introduce myself so I just enjoyed knowing he was on set with me. <laughs> but yeah, I've told Dave Foley. I've told, um, is it David Higgins, uh, who's the co-writer with him? And and the detective. I've Yeah, I've told Dan Redekin. I've told Mike Wilmot. I've told Boyd Banks. I've told Lindsay Lease. Like, I've told everyone that I've ever met affiliated with the movie, like, hey, you're in the wrong guy. It's the best movie. It's the best comedy. So that's a huge, long-winded sort of version of it. But it means a lot to me, and uh, I still have that exact DVD from the Junction Blockbuster, but also kids or anyone else, if you need to see it, it's streaming on YouTube right now, because, yeah, my wife Kathleen Phillips and I just rewatched it a few months ago and, and died laughing, so it's still as fresh as ever. Um, that's my tight summary. I couldn't say that about Sword of Doom. I mean, you, you could. Know? I <laughs> I, I I have a lot of love for Sword of Doom, but I couldn't just instantly like blast it out like this for the wrong guy. People listening, I was maybe going to go with Sword of Doom, which is also check it out. Oh yeah, both <laughs> very good. I mean, only Sword of Doom is on the Criterion Channel, which I do think they're they're the wrong guy will someday claw its way up there. Yeah, I have to be the monster. I actually gave it a negative review for the star. Okay. In '97, wow. when it played, uh, when it opened theatrically, I, yeah, I saw it with a preview audience, and it died. And yeah, as much that's crazy for all the love I have for Foley <laughs> and everybody else involved, it's like Dan Redekin. Do the you think Phoenix. I'm a funny comedian? I do, in a very dry way. Your 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 thing is I find consistently funny. Yeah, what a weird question. Yes, so, of so course. So listen to me when I say that it dying in front of that audience is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just joking. But yeah, it's, I, I know, you know, 97. Okay. This actually brings up a good point that if you don't mind, no. um, 
another another thing is so bottle rocket i was going to choose that as well because bottle rocket and wrong guy are sort of my go-to like perfect comedy movies in my mind okay bottle rocket is very dry and uh and um that came out around the same time yeah like maybe 97, the year before 98 96 yeah, 96 okay so so now when i first watched bottle rocket i watched it with a straight face pretty much the whole time because Everything. What was everything at the time? It was an SNL offshoot character comedy. It mm-hmm. was an Adam Sandler uh, big man-child comedy, or it was a Fairly Brothers wacky gross-out comedy. So when something with like dry, clever, three steps ahead style gags came along, the '90s brain was not ready for that. You know, we're we're going we're going back to like seven style aesthetics with some of these types of comedy and like i said with the wrong guy even back to the the 40s you know so it's like the 90s brain wasn't ready for that the 90s brain was used to you know billy madison yelling about pee pants and ace ventura talking with his butthole <laughs> you see what i'm saying so not unsatisfying things for an audience but yeah no, no this they're, they're Language-based, character-based, mm-hmm. much more. Yeah. I, it's funny, Bottle Rocket and The Wrong Guy are almost mirror images of each other now that you mention it, because Bottle Rocket is about an obsessive fantasist, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Dignan really yeah. does believe he can set up a plan for his life and have everything fall into place, and he's just there to be used by someone else, and that's exactly what is happening in The Wrong Guy as well. Yeah. Um, because and in my opinion, they are both sort of like little independent movies that could but wrong guy could only in a cult-like status in the years following um whereas bottle rocket exploded wes anderson's career um directly afterwards but i feel like this is also a canadian thing too with the wrong guy mm-hmm. which is you know uh we won't need to get into that but <laughs> no i mean it's absolutely relevant because you know among other things the Wrong Guy was only released theatrically in Canada. It never even opened in the States. It had its success on DVD and cable more than anything else. I mean, more exclusively for 20 years. That was the only way you could see it. And right. at least in Canada, it played a few screens. It did open. It did get reviewed. I stabbed it in the heart. Um, and it was one of those things. Thanks, too, Norm. I, I've never... <laughs> It's funny. I've never. Have you fully gone back com- and rewatched it? I have, yeah. And I, I don't love it, but I do like it a lot. And I can absolutely okay. see why comedians will connect to it, because mm-hmm. it is that virtuoso thing where there has been no compromising, right? Like the idea that you can have that scene where Nelson Hibbert is so stupid, so utterly, utterly dense and impervious to logic that he can. With and it's Dave Foley's genius to be able to do it. That with a straight face, mm-hmm. he can look a doctor in the eye and tell them his name is Enema Bag Jones, which yeah. is legitimately funny. I mean, that is that I laughed at that the first time around too. Um, yeah, but it died with an audience. It just felt like it was it was either going over their heads or going right behind the building somehow. Like it just completely. You know how some people say, "If I had a time machine, I'd go back and kill Hitler." Uh-huh. This would be I your would go thing. back and slap that audience. <laughs> Just wait at the door, every one of them as they come out. <laughs> well, yeah, but I, I, I quickly, mm, yeah, maybe 
hopefully I justified it in the sense that it's the, the mid nineties and something billed as a comedy was extremely different at that time, mm-hmm. but I don't get it because like, even like he's trying to get a ton of coat hangers uh, out of a closet while an old man is sleeping in the hospital. And it's that classic long running, like it goes, the gag goes for such a long time because they're all tangled. They're making a ton of noise and he keeps checking to see if the old man's waking up and he's not like, I don't know how to watch that with a straight face. <laughs> like that's insane. So it must have been a different time. That joke is from like Fibber McGee and Molly, right? That's the closet from 1920s, 1930s radio. Uh, just this endless noise that that disrupts whatever else. Plus, it's it's the you know like Dave Foley's incredible physical. The guy is a born mime. He's an incredible physical actor, um, mm-hmm. and and his childish, guileless face is so perfect for this because it is someone who's the character is just being hit over and over again in the face with bats by reality. Just, he is, <laughs> I, I kind of want to see it reassessed now in the age mm-hmm. of the, the new dark ages. Well, it is like another maybe context for the nineties is we were really living in sort of like a, a self, contained bubble of these are absolutely the best of all times yeah whereas now we we think we're living in this end of world dread constantly and silly comedy is such a salve like uh you know comedy is just like so desired it's like the, one of the biggest industries right now yeah people need it now more than ever and then it was yeah this was the clinton years this is i mean it's also three years after the fugitive which i think is like the big impetus for the film to be oh, shot right, three right. years later and then released in the year after it's that all- but um, it is such a uniquely Canadian take on The Fugitive where he imagines there's that one speech where he's just going to go on the run forever and assume a bunch of different guises and he'll always be looking to help people and wherever. Like he, he's mixing up The Fugitive and The Grapes of Wrath because he's seen both movies and he just isn't bright enough to understand that it's unworkable in the present day. But the, the running gag of, of Nelson Hibbert thinking that he is the most important person in the world, like convinced that this is his story when he is at best a bit player um, in this narrative. They know it's not him. You know, he's a fugitive that no one is chasing. Um, It gives him this romantic idea of himself. He gets to live his best life, but he's delusional. He's completely misguided and not smart enough to do any of like, I just rewatched the fugitive as it happens because the 4k came out and it's the 30th anniversary and all of that. And you just think this is a perfect clockwork drama. And the whole thing is based on two opposite characters of, of Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford's characters being brilliant men who are great at their jobs and have to learn to do something else. And Nelson as a character really does think he can coast through it because he thinks he's smart, but also we know no one's chasing him. So of course he's coasting. Like the only way this works is if nobody's looking for him. And the, the, it just feels like now he'd have a tiki torch and he'd be an incel or he'd be on the alt, right? Like he's just one of those people who needs to be the most important, bestest, perfectest, smartest boy. And he is so demonstrably not that the comedy engine is like, it's perfect, especially with Dave Foley, who is the whitest human being on the face of the earth. You know, like a news radio could get yeah. away from claiming he was a Canadian by way of Minnesota. Um, and, and you buy it because he has this combination of 
like an outward decency in his appearance where he's never disheveled. And if he is, he's having a nervous breakdown and he's kind of upstanding. Like he wants to be upstanding, even though all he does in this film is manipulate and abuse other people's trust because he's the fugitive. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is really enduringly funny for this reason, because you are just watching a guy make every situation worse for no reward whatsoever. He does not win. Yeah, he just happens to be in the same vicinity as the the real wanted man every time. Um, it's really, that's where it's more like Marx Brothers level nonsense to me because, you know, they just say yes to how silly that world is and mm-hmm. justify it every scene. Um, you know, it's they stick with it. I love it. How often do you revisit it now? Well, it was, I'll tell you a funny anecdote. I I watched it the most when I first discovered it. For a few years, I'd probably watch it all the time. And if someone came over, I'd make them watch it. And um, yeah, but uh, so, you know, it's pretty often, at least every few years now in my adult, my deep adult years. Uh, and like I said, Kathleen and I revisited it and then still everything hit. We were having a great time. But I'll tell you one thing. Uh, this is a true story about what a nerd I am. It, I told you I went to Dalhousie for one year. Mm-hmm. I had this crush on this girl. And um, one night, and we we got along great. One night, we stayed up all night. Classic, like, you know. 19 20 year old type all night thing 5 6 a.m or something you know nothing happened she's going back to her room and i try to plan to kiss on her and she's like what are you doing man and i'm like oh okay we're just hanging out till 5 6 a.m but it's not like that okay sure so then she went back to her room didn't bother again i got the message cool then a year later, she's visiting Toronto, and now I'm this like, uh, you know, crazy bum who's going to like open mic nights and taking Second City courses and stuff. And they invite me out to a party, and I party with them at a bar, and it's fun. And we're talking again and catching up. And she's basically like to her friends, um, "It's okay, I'm going to stay at Chris's house tonight. He's got space for me." So I'm like, "Wow." the thing from university and then that I thought wasn't a thing. So then she does, we have a great night. She comes over. First thing she does when we get to my place is I make her show like watch the wrong guy and I fall asleep (laughs) (laughs) and nothing ever happened between us. And I'm totally okay with that. And, uh, I chose the, this person had to see the wrong guy instead of trying to yawn and put my arm around her or whatever. (laughs) But you gave her the gift of cinema. Exactly. And you know what? That might be more important to me sometimes. Yeah. There is something, I mean, people come up with talismans, you know, movies that they pass to friends. I mean, it sounds like this was one for you, but the, the sense that it was, you know, like roundly rejected by the world, by general audiences and every and myself included, and I still feel weird about that. But the idea that it has <laughs> become a touchstone, like 
for comics, for comedians, for writers, directors. Uh, we just missed the 25th anniversary of the thing. Um, it's holding up like now it's and and David Steinberg was a revered. Oh, yeah. I met him, too. Oh, yeah. On um, Strombo's old show. OK. He was a guest and I was a guest writer for a week. Yeah. Did you talk about it? I mean, did he does he have? A... No, I, I, I it, that one was also one of those like we're moving quick, like he's going to um, studio and I'm just like a ding dong hanging around with the other guys. Right. Yeah, it didn't feel as opportune, but uh, just a quick shake hand and hi, nice to meet you stuff. Yeah. Hey, it's Norm, interrupting my own show to bring you up to speed on Shiny Things, my newsletter about physical media, culture, and the art streaming project. Last week, I wrote about Shout Studios' remastered Blu-ray of Walter Hill's Last Man Standing and a few things I'm looking forward to in the year to come. I mean, I could be looking forward to you subscribing. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at shiny-things.ghost.io or find a link to the Semcast Blue Sky account. You like reading about movies, I like writing about them. Come check it out. It's been like a perk of my job that every now and then I get to run into somebody who did something that I... I love and can just, as an interviewer, even, I would just be able to sort of start with, all I want to do is talk about Streets of Fire, you know, and, and it, it's disarming, it's fun, it's a loose way to get into a conversation. But I think professionally, too, there's something really meaningful when it comes from somebody else in the industry, not my, not me as a, as a third party, as, a, as like a, a, the interviewer, the journalist, but as another performer relating to it, I think it means a lot more generally when it's within the community that somebody comes back. And, and I did talk to Foley. Oh, I think it was when Monsters University came out. He was a voice in that. And that was the excuse. That's the thing that got me in the room with him for the first I mean, I'd, I'd actually been to kids tapings way, way back in the day, but I'd never, yeah. he was the one, he was the one I'd never actually gotten to meet or talk to because he went to Los Angeles right away. And we were, um, we were talking about his career overall and the run guy came up and he was just like, yeah, that was fun. That's all he said that he he doesn't see it as, I mean, this would have been 15 years later, but he just didn't see it as a, a bomb or a fiasco or a disappointment, any of the things that it got tarred with. Um, even, I mean, uh, Nathan Rabin, the AV club writer ran this whole thing, this series, like my year of flops and, I've got it here. He said, it should have marked a beginning for a glorious career as a leading man and screenwriter for Foley. Instead, it marked a dead end in a life and career that would soon be full of them, which is kind of harsh. Um, it's yeah. true. I mean, things went things went pretty south for him after news radio for a while, but he's come back and he's yeah. he's justifiably yeah. reclaimed his place as, as a... That new season of Kids in the Hall, like, they were all so sharp and as ever before, especially... Dave Foley, you know, so it's, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. One time I was in uh, LA and the comedian Ron Lynch has this midnight show on Saturdays called the tomorrow show. Mm -hmm. And I, Ron is, he's a, he's a sweet, lovely guy. And he's got like a a cadre of like comedy misfit friends from because decades and decades of, you know, being this like inside guy with, um, you know, with a, with a call, kind of a cult fan base. Anyways, we're waiting. Mm. I'm waiting to go on stage, and David Higgins is backstage, 
kind of looking quiet and a bit dour. And then I told him that I was so excited to meet him right now because the wrong guy is one of my favorite all times comedies. And his face totally, he like grew like a flower blossoming to the sun. So, you know, the fact that you said David, Dave Foley was like, yeah, that was fun. You know, hopefully I sparked like some sort of remembrance of that within him because I mean, he's the second hilarious person in that movie. Like every beat that he's in, he just nails it too. Like, it's crazy that his career, like they co-wrote it together, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with, with Jake crazy. Hogan from The Simpsons of all people. Yeah. So what are you talking about? This is crazy. It's crazy to me. And let me ask you, um, you mentioned a, an obscure uh, film like Streets of Fire. Let me ask you, if you don't mind, sure. uh, risk of being a little shit here. What was your mind frame in 1997 as a younger film reviewer? And before Criterion Collection was open to every dirty, grubby little idiot's uh, plebeian's fingers. Yeah, I mean, I was... Were you a Christoph Kraslovsky guy? (laughs) I did love those movies. (laughs) Um, Well, in 97, I would have been 29. And no, I mean, I was, was, again, like I was a kid's fan from, from, like, I was at their first... If not the first taping, then the first taping of the series, as opposed right. to the pilot, I was there. Okay, right, um, right, right. I am still mildly offended that you know nobody reached out to me when they were doing the documentary because Jennifer Whalen is telling the story from Baroness. It's like, oh, it was fantastic, and I'm scanning the frame to see where the hell I am because I'm just in the top rafter somewhere. Um, yeah. No, I was, I was a, I was a huge comedy fan. I knew everybody, uh, not personally, but I knew the work of everybody involved. I, I had high hopes for it actually because this would have been yeah. a year after brain candy and that was i don't think it's the bomb that everyone made it out to be but i also agree yeah. that it's not what it wants to be right like it's just yeah. too fractious a, a project and you see ideas floating around in it but um but yeah no a year later i saw the wrong guy and it just did not land i guess like I want to say it was like August too. It was a weird time to release a comedy. Right. I bet you, I bet you it's a combination of um, the mood of the time, but also it's got to be like comedians really respond to it. Mm -hmm. And comedians brains go three, four, five steps further with, with gags more than audiences sometimes, you know, because there's, you know, they, they can see the mechanism or exactly. the discovery of the comedian writing. And sometimes the audience doesn't really want to care about that. They want to like get taken away more by, you know, too silly is too silly for, for weirdly enough. Normies. I know. Normies. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, I know what You've you mean. You've heard it before. I, I'm sure I'm a, I'm a hack, but no, you know what no. I mean? You, you get what I'm saying? I do. I mean, I, there are stories about, uh, the film I always come back to when this sort of thing happens is a movie called Bedtime Story, which was the inspiration. I mean, it's the same script for most of it for Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Uh, but it was shot with Marlon Brando and David Niven in the roles that would be played oh, by Steve Martin yeah. and Michael Caine. It's from 1963. It's really, really expensive and it's yeah. lifeless. 
But there are all these stories and it's incredible. Like the Ruprecht the Monkey Boy sequences are in this film and they're not funny. It's just Brando being a clown in a way that doesn't translate. Whereas Steve Martin and Frank Oz are cutting to timing and everything. And like the the machinery of of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is so perfect. It's polished. Um, But there are stories about how Niven and Brando couldn't get through scenes. Like they had to do dozens of takes of some of the bits because they kept laughing. They kept breaking up. And there's one or two shots where you can actually see Niven sort of turning away from the camera so he can laugh or something. And it's not funny in the slightest to be on the outside. So even going back, it doesn't hit. Yeah. And I've, I've rewatched it since. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, no, they found that like Frank Oz and, and Kane and, and Steve Martin solved it. Like they found a way to make this work. Right. And it's the genius of the film is to remake bad movies, right? Like you, you remake failures so you don't have to compete with the audience's expectations. But the idea yeah. of we had so much fun, these jokes are so funny. And what you see is the actors are playing for each other and it doesn't translate. It doesn't reach the camera or certainly doesn't come out the other side of the screen. The wrong man yeah. is not doing, the, the wrong guy is not doing that. It's everybody is having a great time I mean, Comfior, I, I, you cannot give this guy enough credit. All he does is pull the face that Comfior pulls, but he never gets credit for his comic timing. And he is really no, funny. Right. I said, I mentioned David Higgins, but Comfior, every beat, every, like to me, every, <clears throat> every beat hits so hard. So, but I, I don't know, like, yes, I just watched it again in my 40s. I discovered it at like 21 or 22. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know how to, but, but you know, like I have, I've definitely talked to Ennis about it. You mentioned him bringing it up before. I know uh, Rodrigo uh, Fernandez Stahl is a big fan of it. So, so it's, I know other friends that are, have a close connection to it. So it does, And the, but I'm in a comedian world. Right. But that's uh, what I mean. So now I'm trying to, yeah. So yeah. I'm trying to figure it out. It's, it's funny. The- I read songs my mother taught me and i don't even think he mentions bedtime story in that whole book yeah i wouldn't be surprised i don't remember because he, he mentioned some of the other massive flops obviously yeah i wouldn't I can't even just, remember that because it's such an indefinable work you can't i mean you can't obviously you can't explain how much fun you were having if you can if everyone else can queue up the movie and go but but i'm not i'm not enjoying myself in the slightest and this thing is death yeah uh and it was remade again there's a third one that chris addison from the thick of it directed uh oh wow it was the one with oh Anne hathaway it was a it was a, a gender swap remake it was called oh well when you google bedtime story gender swap you get porn um uh <laughs> let's try dirty rotten scoundrels yeah, bedtime story has six point seven, but I believe you that it's not good. It's bad. Oh yeah, Rebel Wilson, yeah. Rebel Wilson, and and Anne Hathaway. Oh, that'd be fun. It's called the hustle. I love the thick of it. Yeah, um, it's not very good, unfortunately, um, because yeah. weirdly enough, I think everybody like. What I got out of that was my appreciation for Anne Hathaway as an underrated comic actress, and if you're thinking of that when Rebel Wilson is the lead, you you're kind of screwed. Um, but yeah, it's worth, I mean, it's worth a look if you're curious, but it's, I mean, definitely. I, I'm just trying to figure out if there's a way to, to pivot this to a, a gender reversal on the, on the wrong guy. And I don't know that there is, I think it has to be, uh, like you, you would have to imagine a woman on the run would be smarter. <laughs> yeah. Like Kristen Wiig or something, or that's true. She could probably do it. 
Mary Holland, Mary yeah. Holland would crush it. But it is like that. I can yeah. totally understand why comedians appreciate this film because you are seeing somebody go like to eleven on the comic concept, on the idea. I like, think that's what it is. Now talking to you and and thinking of the audience of the nineties, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, but it is a perfect execution of the joke, and and it just keeps fun. It is yes ending, right? Like it just keeps finding new variations on the same idea, which is that this clueless idiot thinks he's in the fugitive. Well, also. Every single, like I said at the beginning, every single beat is a gag upon a gag upon a gag. So mm-hmm. that could be alienated to a person that didn't think it was going to be, you know, it's like it very in your face, um, the silliness. Yeah. It could be alienating to a person who doesn't think like, um, you know, three steps ahead like that every day. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, even uh, you mentioned Hagen's just having this this beautifully drawn out role and we haven't even discussed like the key gag is that he isn't actually trying to be Inspector Gerard either. He's using this as an excuse to <laughs> pat out his expense report and really enjoy the chase by not chasing anyone. Yeah. Just going to a bunch Moby of Dick the musical and eat a delicious steak. Yeah, they're they're so specific too. Like those are character beats that they somebody worked out in the writing of this thing. And I, I do, I think an oral history of the film would be almost as entertaining, if not more so, just because you get the specific personalities involved. I mean, the- Right, I could see that. You know, think about the way that the frame bends every time some new funny person shows up, like Rico Colantoni or Kevin McDonald or, or even Steinberg himself in his cameo. And it's like, of course he's going to pop up. It's he's directing the movie, but at the same time, he's royalty, right? Like you want to see this parade of talented people that, that, and, and even Jennifer Tilly, who was not known for comedy. Well, she was, she was permanently endeared to me from the wrong guy. Sure. Um, her, her character is so funny. Oh, I also met Joe Flaherty. Also met Kevin McDonald. I've, I guess like the only person might be a Jennifer Tilly, and I haven't met her, and I haven't met David Higgins' partner, who's constantly questioning his his tactics. <laughs> <Right. laughs> who's really funny too. Yeah, uh, I I've met Jennifer Tilly. She's lovely. It was decades ago. Wow. It was before The Wrong Guy, actually. It was a movie called Shadow of the Wolf that nobody remembers that she made with Lou Diamond Phillips in 1992. Oh, man, that sounds like a VHS rental from my childhood. Absolutely would have been. Canadian film, right? So it was like a national service to put it in every blockbuster in, in the country. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not great, but um, but not her fault. But back to the wrong guy, and more specifically back to uh, your own stuff, the the um, the last question of the podcast is always the same, which is what, if anything, of the wrong guy have you borrowed or stolen or homaged? Have you ever found a way to work it into something? And I'm thinking, who's your father? I mean, you mentioned it early on. There are some yeah. resonances, mm-hmm. but is there any specific thing that that it owes to the wrong guy? I'm I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure. I mean... I think you're familiar with me from like Twitter and maybe some acting stuff that you've seen, but also uh, I've been doing stand up forever, um, you know, and there's a few things that are in my blood uh, that I can't help. And that is like Richard Pryor stand up, uh, Mr. Show with Bob and David, mm-hmm. and Bottle Rocket, and probably the wrong guy for sure is in my blood. Like I've probably, um, if there's a funny intonation, maybe even like not, I, I don't say I would lift a gag, 
fully, but I would, I would, I would definitely learn a, a pacing or an intonation style from, from the wrong guy. Um, God, definitely, definitely. It's, it's in there probably even like some beats of, uh, who's your father? Like just have my love for that movie. Uh, like, cause I, cause Larry, my character is, uh, is pretty simple <laughs> as well. And so, you know, um, like, you know, David Foley gets asked if it's like, if, if he wants to stay with, um, Joe Flaherty and Meg Tilly, then he'll have to do some work. He's just like, uh, work, uh, like what, like, you know, like Larry for sure has kind of got that same sort of like, yeah, what, you know, like, what about, what about dessert? You know, it's like, just kind of like the wrong thing is being focused on at the moment because he's just so impulsive and selfish or like, you know, can't see past himself. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say there's a distractibility that I noticed. Like Nelson is constantly thinking this is the next adventure and Larry is resisting the call to adventure any way he can. He just kind of wants to stay still. Yeah. He wants to stay still. And like, it almost like, I don't even know if Jeremy meant this, but probably because I think Jeremy's script is brilliant. But like, I, yeah, it's almost like the idea of being a PI is almost more exciting than doing the work. Like, obviously, writing off all the the bills on on Luke Thorne that that's the rich guy's character played by Matt Wells. Yeah, um, is is more fun, and I think his real goal is to just keep getting a glimpse of rhonda and approval from rhonda so yeah it's like that like an idiot says he's doing one thing but he's distracted and yeah for sure the wrong guy is in my blood fully yeah pacing delivery i'm sure there's lots of stuff in there no someday we'll get to break it down uh like a talk back with you and foley and, and higgins and we can all we can we can connect the dots on one of those big string boards if anyone listening has connections to David Higgins and Foley to see who's your father, I mean, geez, I, I don't know. I would die happy. That would be insane. I want all my heroes to see this movie because I'm genuinely extremely proud of it. <clears throat> it's it's for a Canadian project. It, 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 it really stands out to me. It doesn't seem Canadian. I Obviously, it's very P.E.I., but, you know, there's lots of American and international movies that take place in small areas of their countries. I think the story is bigger than PEI. I think the the romance and the comedy is bigger than just PEI. I think Jeremy and Jenna did a big thing, not just for PEI, but for all of Canada with this film. It's really cute and sweet and hilarious. And every Q&A I went to, the audience is laughing at, from front to back. And as soon as it's over, they ask us, where's Rhonda and Larry? Where can we see them next? So it's like <clears throat> they really created something here that I'm really proud of. Because when you make something in Canada, after it's wrapped, your base level is, please don't be embarrassing. <laughs> That's your base level that you you live on. Even though you and all these great talent work together, you never know, right? And they really nailed Who's Your Father with the post-production, with the music, with the pacing of the comedic pacing of the editing, um, letting the characters breathe, um, the sweetness. 
So, yeah, I would love my heroes to see this. I could stand by it. It super exceeded my expectations, just not because I didn't trust anybody, but just because of how it usually goes in Canada. You see what I'm saying? I do, yeah. And the sweetness is the thing that absolutely uh, stuck out to me. It's just... It's, oh, that's a, it's, nice. it's a farce and it's a detective farce, especially, but it's also two weirdos finding each other, which is, again, the best kind yeah. of romantic comedy for me anyway. Nice, nice. I'm glad to hear you say that. Sue and I worked our butts off to make that um, the the gags, but also the, the romance come from a real place. So it didn't seem hokey or, you know, corny or whatever. So it didn't seem like a Fairly Brothers movie. No offense. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's something the wrong guy doesn't have, right? Like the romance is sort of incidental and, and here it's the core. Yeah. So there you go. You win. Yeah. There is that part where Dave Foley, where Nelson is talking to her at the door and the and the light is shining through her nightie. And so, you know, the woman of her is, and he's like, can you turn just a little bit? And it's like, you know, gratuitous for a sec and and classic male, dumb male horniness for a sec. But then she goes, Nelson, in her amazing raspy voice, she goes, Nelson, I just want to say how happy we are and glad we are that you're here with us and how much it's, you know, whatever, how nice it is to have someone here with us helping out. And then he feels shame for being dirty and goes, oh, oh. Right. Well, and then he turns the light on, so it stops illuminating through her nightie. And I always thought that part was super sweet, even though it's a it's a dumbass movie. I think that beat definitely nails it. You know, it it goes from like I don't know. So that's the one beaten wrong guy I would stick up for in that sense. But yeah, it's not as it's not as good as me and Sue together. No way, Susan Kent. Are you kidding me? No way. <laughs> My thanks to Chris Locke, who you can see being charmingly odd as Sebastian in the third season premiere of Run the Burbs tonight at 9.30pm on CBC TV and online at CBC Gem. You should also check out Who's Your Father on digital and on demand because it's a charmer. Thanks also to Ali Lemare Shedden. She knows what she did. You can follow Chris on Instagram at ChrisLockFun, all one word, C-H-R-I-S-L-O-C-K-E-F-U-N. And if you're looking for the wrong guy, eh, it's gone out of print again. But that Kino Lorber Blu-ray is still out there somewhere. I can feel it. You can find me on Blue Sky at Norm Wilner, and you can find this podcast there at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. The first year of the show is still available for just 20 bucks at payhip.com Semcast. That's the first 52 episodes of Someone Else's Movie, 44 of which aren't currently available anywhere else. And check out my newsletter, Shiny Things, at shiny-things.ghost.io. I think you'll enjoy it. Our theme song is by the last year. If you like it or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been listening. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're doing that. Stay safe. Watch movies. Wear a mask if you go out. Get the new booster when you can. I'll see you next week.